Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the PropG podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a PropG Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropG Pod wherever you get your podcasts. There are many different paths you can take. But there's only one road to Atlanta. The high drive deep out to left field. He clubbed it. Brady twisting and turning, looking up and giving up. It's a home run for Danby Swanson. Flair out towards shallow right. That's big trouble. Albies going back. He dives and he makes the catch. What a play, Ozzy Albies. Swanson is headed for three. He'll try for an inside the parker. Relay throw comes toward the plate. He'll score standing, and it's his second inside the park home run of the season. This is your weekly podcast dedicated to the Atlanta Braves farm system. Follow the show on Twitter at road, the number two, Atlanta. Now, hit the road with your hosts, Eric Cole, Gaurav Vidak, and Garrett Spain. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Road to Atlanta, a podcast devoted solely to the Braves farm system and Braves prospects. I am one of your hosts, Eric Cole. You may recognize me from my work over on TalkingChop.com or from over there on Twitter at Leprechaun with a K. And this is a special day two recap of the 2021 MLB Draft Braves edition. Joining me is my longtime buddy, longtime colleague. You can follow him on Twitter at Leprechaun. Not Leprechaun, not me. Uh, follow him at Braves MILB. Garrett Spain. Garrett, how are you? Man, I gotta say, I am absolutely exhausted by the amount of baseball that we have had the last few days. It's been, it has been a ride. Yeah, the last 48 hours covering the Braves and then covering the draft have been, um, yeah. That's the best way I don't know how to describe it. It's been, it's, it's, it's been, it's been a wild ride and I'm gonna go ahead and tell you now and we'll kind of, I'm gonna get kind of Garrett's top line thoughts here too. I have been immersed the last two days with this Braves draft class and their picks and what I think their strategy is. And I truly, and this isn't a knock or anything, is that I don't actually know if this draft class is good or not, but it is easily the weirdest and most interesting draft class I've covered covering baseball period. I mean, Garrett, are we kind of on board there? Yeah, I think that the weirdness, I mean, it was a weird season. We knew it was going to be a weird draft. And then, it started out weird at the top of the draft, and it's been a snowball since then. No one, it's seems, uh, no one even saw this even remotely coming, and it's definitely been a bit of a scramble to kind of figure out what's going on. Yeah, and so obviously uh, Matt and I recorded last night. I'm giving him the night off today. One because, and I will go ahead and let this kind of be known. It's actually Matt is not the biggest fan of this draft class, and you know a combination of that, and he was really kind of running a lot of the written word. On the site today, I wanted to make sure I gave him some time kind of away from it to kind of be able to take a look, you know, from a like a wider lens and kind of have some time to marinate on things as opposed to being kind of, mar- you know, married to the idea of each individual pick and having to evaluate things. Also, I want to make sure I got Garrett in here because I, I think that getting, you know, other voices in, on the show when we're talking about the draft 
is a good thing, just kind of get a lot of different perspectives. And I will say that Matt's reaction when the Braves took Spencer Schwellenbach in round two, uh, obviously Schwellenbach was highly connected to the Braves for their first round pick. You know, and Matt wasn't a particularly big fan, fan of him there. Now, in terms of the strength of that reaction, Matt was easily the one that was least in, in favor of Schwellenbach amongst our group. Um, I think Garrett and I were probably the highest on Schwellenbach. And again, we weren't like super excited about him, but as a second round pick, I was a big fan of it. We're talking about a former Big Ten player of the year. He could have been drafted either as a shortstop or, or a pitcher. The Braves end up taking him as a pitcher. Uh, Dana Brown, uh, director of scouting for the Braves, uh, after day two, he said that this guy was like being clocked up at 99. They think he can be a starter. You know, they've seen some longer relief outings that make them think that that combined with the, all the metrics and, you know, data that they have on him, that this is a guy with a first round grade that could make it as a starter. You know, again, really good fastball. The changeup is surprisingly good. I wish he threw it more, but he didn't really have to as a reliever. And the breaking ball is pretty good too. So if this is a guy that can have those three pitches working, particularly that changeup, which he didn't throw all that often, because again, this is a guy who was never a starter at Nebraska. Uh, This is a college arm that the Braves are picking as a starter. And he was only a reliever, which was my biggest hang up on him is that if you're picking a live arm like this and you've never seen him start, it's hard to put invest a high pick on him, but the Braves really felt strongly here about picking Schwellenbach. It's a bold move to be sure. And I respect the commitment to the, I un, that they seem to think that they know that a lot of people have reliever grades on Kusick and on Schwellenbach, but they seem just simply just don't agree. And they were going to try to convert these guys or at least keep them as starters with really live arms. So Garrett, talk to me a little bit about your thoughts on Schwellenbach and where, where you're at with the pick. Yeah, I mean, I was pretty on record as saying, you know, before the draft, you know, Schwellenbach, I'm not really interested in him, but that was as a first round pick. I think as a second round pick, you know, he's not a guy that I think like is an outrageously good pick, but I think he's a good pick. I think he's a decent value there. And especially it's clear that whatever the Braves have with the data that they have and what their scouts have seen, they're very, very high on Schwellenbach. And so I think that, you know, I have a lot of, I have a lot of faith in the scouting department and in the development department of the Braves. And so I think that while he's not necessarily my favorite pick, I see the talent there and I see what they're trying to do. And I think that I trust the team enough that they are better at this than we are. Right. And I trust that they're making a decision that is going to be good for the franchise. Um, you know, I mean, obviously the big thing is that arm talent and, I have, you know, taking him as a starter is definitely a risk. I mean, you look at guys, they're not afraid of taking risks high in the draft, I guess, on that talent. They did it last year with Spencer Strider, a guy that really no one expected to go in the draft. And we see how that's turned out. Now you see a similar guy here who has really good stuff. He hasn't pitched a ton. We don't have a ton of data on him, but once we... You know, he's going to have a very fluid stock where if we see him come in and immediately pitch well and pitch deep into games and maintain that velocity and pitch, you know, multiple outings and be able to continue to stay consistent. I mean, I think we're going to see, we're going to see him. He could jump out fairly quickly. He has the athleticism. You know, he doesn't have a ton of mileage on his arm, which is all, they're all very good things it's just there is some risks there and I think that that's the biggest deal is I mean I mean that's the biggest downside to him 
we really don't know anything about him. And so there is the risk that they, he can't pitch deep into games and maintain that velocity or that the athleticism isn't going to be enough and he won't be able to have good command or whatever. And I mean, I think there's nothing about him. There's nothing about him that necessarily jumps out at me as like outrageously bad other than we just haven't seen him. Yeah, and to be clear, Garrett's talking about seeing him as a starter because, again, like as a reliever, like it's easy to see the guy has a live arm. Um, one thing that Dana Brown was uh, particularly effusive about is that he really likes guys that were shortstops in college and then maybe were a bit of relievers. He likes pitchers like that. He mentioned Joe Nathan. He mentioned Jacob deGrom. Is like that that athleticism that you learn at being at short while also having to really utilize a strong arm from a position is that it teaches you like really good body control. It like allows you to have be have real athleticism on the mound. It allows you to, you know, kind of maintain a certain amount of looseness that is ultimately very, very good to have in a starting pitcher, even if you don't have a guy who's like has a lot of experience starting on the mound. And like, that's an interesting thing because I honestly like I preferred him as a shortstop. I I kind of saw him as like a better than the sum of his parts type short shortstop, you know, a guy that was a Big Ten player of the year, you know, and was really productive with the bat, but hearing him say that kind of made me realize it seems like there was a little bit of method to the madness here. And it's, it, it was very clear that the Braves were in love with Schwellenbach from the beginning. Like they've been, uh, been in on him for a long time. You know, they, Dana Brown has seen him a whole bunch. A lot of their big time veteran scouts had seen him a whole bunch. The data that they had was just that this guy is a first rounder, regardless of the class. And they were thrilled to get him with a second round pick. And again, just an interest, an interesting scenario now is that we have Kusick, who is a guy that, you know, has been a starter, but you, know, you have to learn about the command and, you know, has the big time fastball. And then you have Schwellenbach, who has pitches, but we haven't really seen like a, a third pitch from him very often because he doesn't need it as a reliever. You know, fastball's touched up to 99 and, you know, hasn't started yet. So there's like, there, these are college arms that usually when you pick college arms, you're wanting to them to move quickly. And there's a chance that these guys will actually be more longer term projects. And it's an interesting, Bet to make, I guess, is what I'm trying to get at, is that, you know, with these two arms that they took in the first two rounds, you know, these aren't like, you know, these are going to be starters in the major leagues next year. You know what I mean? Like, it seems more likely that, you know, both Kusick and Schwellenbach, you know, especially in Schwellenbach's case, like he's going to take some time to figure things out in the minors, but they really like the upside. And if they hit on this upside with these both these guys, good things are going to happen for sure. Um, but again, make sure that you go to the website uh, also before I forget, well, before we move on to Dylan Dodd, but, uh, Rounds two through five, there are full write-ups on Talking Chop right now about those picks, including grades, including, you know, what we kind of think about the pick. Matt was working really hard throughout the course of the day to make sure these went up quickly. So, again, Schwellenbach, Dodd, Conley, and Waddell are all going to be on the website. So make sure you go to TalkingChop.com. You can read all that to kind of get caught up on, like, the nitty-gritty stuff because this podcast will kind of get you the basics. But if you really want that deep-dive stuff, definitely go to the site for that. Uh, so the next round – uh, really interesting player in Dylan Dodd, the left-hander out of Southeast Missouri. He was one of the more highly regarded senior signs in this entire class. You know, fastball's up to 94. He's kind of a small, you know, a small school guy, but he's has a high floor, pitches really well from the left side. You know, maybe he's a kind of a back, he could be a back-end starter type or maybe a reliever. But when you get that as a senior sign guy in the third round, and again, we're not 100% certain how much money they saved there. I don't think he's going to be like the, like the lowest, like he's not getting the minimum in the third round because he was just too highly regarded as a, as a prospect to be there. That's why they had to pick him so high. 
it was like him and Kevin Copps were like the two guys, and Copps ended up going just a few picks later. But in Dodd's case, you know, he's they're probably saved some money picking him as well. So to kind of get that sort of value with a senior sign type sense, you're saving some money, which allowed them to do some things later in picks. I really like this arm, especially for kind of what they what his purpose was in this draft class. What do you think about him? Yeah, I I mean the Dodd pick right away was one that jumped away. I mean, I like I said it in the group chat. I love guys that have a good change up. I mean, that's one of the biggest things. Developing that change up and being able to handle off handed hitters is one of the biggest adjustments moving to Pro Ball. He already has that down. He has a good change up. You know, his you know, his off his breaking balls are a little more fringy and more average, but there's nothing wrong with having an average fastball and an average curveball, right? Like that's really very good, especially along with that changeup. Good command. You know, overall looking at his I definitely I think that there's value. Especially as a senior sign, there's a ton of value in that pick. Um there are maybe things mechanically that might there is a little bit of weirdness to his delivery, right? Like to his arm action, which could be a concern down the road. I don't like to everybody kind of throws different and you don't like, but it seems like there is a little bit of inefficiency there, which could lead pitcher injury. It's hard to gauge that it could lead to issues there. It could lead to consistency issues. It could be just a matter of inefficiency that makes it harder for him to develop velocity. It's not a huge concern. I'll have to see it more than just, you know, watching videos off of YouTube to really get a feel for it. But that's really a concern there. I mean, overall, again, not a super exciting pick, but I think where they got him, what we assume they'll sign him for, I think it's a very good value. And I like the pick and the mix of pitches that he's able to bring to the table. Yeah, one thing I'll say about his fastball is like it's not a, like a, a crazy good fastball in a vacuum. Like if you if he just threw that fastball, then you know he's not particularly effective. I don't think, but it plays really well off his changeup. Like it ha- has that kind of same tunnel. It's really so it makes him really hard to square up because the hitters have to really respect the changeup that he's got. And as a result, that fastball plays up a bit. You know what I mean? Like you know, I, I think Matt again was maybe a, I would put almost like a fifty five on that fastball. And again, just because of how it's employed and how he sequences it with that change up so again really interesting pick in round three and again this is where things were starting to get weird for us because we're like are they having to do a senior sign to pay schwellenbach you know we're having to console matt because he thinks that's what's happening is that you know they're having to like they actually they had to go way over slot to even get schwellenbach in the second round but you know again this is where things were starting we're like what's you know this is this was interesting what are they trying to accomplish and then in round four they take the shortstop out of texas tech cal Connolly, who again kind of a smaller bodied guy um I, I I tend to agree with Matt that he seems more like a utility type, but who can really square up the ball, hit line, hard line drives all over the field. Interesting pick again. This isn't a guy that you know is a particularly high leverage guy, so I wasn't worried so much about you know having to pay him a whole lot. There certainly wasn't an overslot signing or anything like that. But I was starting to wonder. I'm like, what is this? What is exactly happening with the Braves bonus pool? What is their plan in this draft? Because this is around this time is where like it's a lot of overslot high schoolers being taken. You know, some of the some of the highly regarded college guys that could feasibly go back to campus end up getting signed. And the Braves are taking you know Dylan Dodd and now Cal, Cal Connolly. And it didn't seem like to me that they had spent a ton of money yet. You know, even with a smaller bonus pool, it just felt like that they hadn't you know done much. And I like Connolly. Like again, he's Hits the ball hard from both sides of the plate. I like him, but you know, tell us a little bit what your thoughts on him. 
Yeah, I mean, definitely my first instinct is more of a utility guy. Um, anybody that he obviously can hit and he can put the bat on the ball, which is a skill for an up-the-middle player that if you can find an up-the-middle player with even decent defense that can that has good contact skills, you that's something that you value. You know, the Braves, you know, let, two years ago, we saw him with Shoemake take kind of a fringy defender and – by all accounts, they've between the work that he's done and the work that they've done with him, they've improved his defense. And I think that one thing that the Braves do fairly well is work on guys with their up the middle defense and getting them to where they can defend fairly well. We've seen it with the improvements that both Swanson and Albies have made, and we've seen it with guys like Shoemake. I mean, I think Grissom has improved a fairly good bit as defensively compared to what I expected him to be at this point. And so maybe with if they feel like he can pit, fit at shortstop, that's a really – I think that's a really, really good pick in the spot. I think as a utility guy, it's – again, it's not a great pick. It's not a bad pick. It's a decent pick. He can hit, and that's nice to see. And he's not a guy that – you know, a lot of guys, these smaller middle infield types, they get – they can hit, but then they get to the professional level, and they just don't have enough power to move up the ladder. They're just – the lack of power starts to hurt them. And I don't think, I think Connolly has enough gap power and enough home run power that he's not going to be, um, he's not going to be kind of dominated at higher levels. And I think that that's going to serve him well and allow him to have a better chance of getting to the major league level in some capacity. Yeah, absolutely. And this is a guy that, again, didn't play a whole lot for Texas Tech and, you know, kind of came on just this year. You know, the, the rankings on him, if you're looking at like, like Baseball America or MLB Pipeline, were probably lower than a, four, a fourth round grade, just kind of looking at all of them. But it sounded like that, like the industry itself held him in much higher regard. and They really liked all the work that he was doing at Texas Tech. The Braves had like kind of a veteran area scout that was basically going to Texas Tech games all the time. And it wasn't necessarily just to scout Conley, but in this particular case, they they, they certainly have a, a certain amount of affinity for drafting guys out of Texas Tech. But they seemed to really kind of like what this kid was bringing to the table every day at bats that just were really competitive at bats, was, you know, hitting quality pitching, liked all the metrics on him. You know, again, not a guy that is... I would say, like, he, he's not like, he doesn't serve a traditional purpose as like, you know, wow, this is a guy who you really could see, you know, playing shortstop in the future, you're bidding on upside. He's not, he's not necessarily fitting the role of like a senior sign or like kind of an underslot guy. He just feels like this is the pick that they like at that slot, you know, not more, no more, no less. And I, there's, that's certainly an admirable thing. And I think that he has a lot of value. And I'm really interested to see how he looks and where the Braves end up placing him. Once he kind of gets into pro ball, because I think he's a guy who could actually like jump up to that high A or double A uh, range pretty quickly. And after that, we'll see whether or not the bat plays. Uh, one last pick before we go to our break here, uh, and that is a, a true. A, this is a true senior sign, but one that I'm sure that made a lot of you know Braves fans happy because a lot of Braves fans also are Georgia Tech fans, and they picked the shortstop out of Georgia Tech, Luke Waddell. Uh, again, the guy can hit, doesn't have power, gets on base a whole ton has been a leader of that offense at Georgia Tech for years now. I'm interested to see kind of how his game translates to the professional level because, again, he just doesn't hit for much power at all, but he walks a ton. He get you know he gets on base a ton. The guy can just flat – is just a hitter. And, you know, again, we position-wise, you know, I don't see him – I don't see him as a shortstop necessarily, but 
I, I like guys who can hit and maybe the Braves can figure something out with him. But at the end of the day, his his mission in life was to save the Braves money and also get them some value and some depth in their minor league system. Where are you at with him? Yeah, I pretty much agree on all points. I don't see him, you know, filling a role where he's a major contributor at the major league level for this organization. You know, there's just – I don't think that there's enough overall for him to be a type of guy that's a starter at the major league level. He can fill a good role in the minor league system. You look at him as maybe a guy that's, you know, with his experience, with his leadership at Georgia Tech, he's a guy that can – go in and kind of take over leadership roles on the minor league rosters. That's a valuable skill for guys to have as well. And I think overall he's a good organization guy and he's a guy that definitely could push himself to a bench role in the future. But I think the limitations in power and not being able to actually play shortstop at a high level is eventually going to catch up with him. Yeah. I think he's a guy that can like move around the infield and like be that sort of like super utility bench guy that hits from the left hand side that can, you know, can be a pinch hitter in situations and not necessarily embarrass himself. But overall, like again, can't read too much into senior signs. It's just, it was a little strange again to have the senior signs starting this early for the Braves, especially since it didn't seem like he had saved, they had saved enough money. They had spent a lot of money yet, which again, Poor Matt. It was you know being consoled like you know how much did they actually sign Spencer Schwellenbach for, et cetera, et cetera. But again, it just didn't fit. Just didn't feel right. Uh, and as we kind of get into the second half of the of this day two of the draft, we start kind of the 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 shift in the strategy kind of goes into focus. We start to understand what the Braves' intentions were and what their plan was, and kind of gives us a sense of what's going to be going on in day three, hopefully. Uh, but before we do that, we're going to take a quick break to listen to a word from our sponsors. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the PropG podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. All right, and we are back to talk about – again, it, it was funny is that we kind of had a general plan going into this draft that we were going to write up each individual pick rounds two through five, and then we were going to group up six through ten and kind of do a general recap post. That is what we ended up doing, but Matt is insistent that we write up a few of the guys that happened in the second half of the pick draft, and he's 100% right because these were the really interesting picks – of day two for the Braves happened. And that starts in round six with uh, with Justin Henry Malloy, uh, the third baseman out of Georgia Tech, another Georgia Tech player back-to-back after Waddell. So uh, Malloy's the third baseman, you know, starts at, at Vanderbilt, ends up moving over to Georgia Tech. There's a guy, he's a guy that 
has real hit tool concerns, but he also has real tools, has some power. He can move, you know, you know, plays a good third base. It's not like a situation where he's going to have to like move to first or move to the move to a corner or something like that. And the guy just gets on base and they think that that and when Daniel Brown was talking about him is that they really feel like they can even get more out of him because he's still kind of figuring things out. He kind of comes originally from a northeast area where, you know, he didn't really play a lot of baseball growing up. So they think that they can kind of once he gets in a professional environment that he can actually grow more into his tools and maybe improve that hit tool a bit. And if that's the case, that's a that's a that's a coup at round six is getting a guy that has real tools. And again, doesn't sound like a guy who's going to like cost a bunch of money or anything like that as a round six pick. But getting that sort of value and that sort of athleticism, plus some real on getting on base ability and the ability to run like he does, is a really interesting pick. So uh, talk to me about Malloy. Yeah, I mean, I, I really, really like this pick. This actually might be my favorite pick of the first round just because, I mean, I love guys with, you know, Decent approaches at the plate and guys who have power like that. He's athletic. He plays third base really well. He's not a guy that you have to, it puts a little bit less strain on a guy if you say, okay, well, he's not going to have to move to left field or first base. He can stick at third base. He can play third base at a high level. He can hit for power. And he's going to be a guy that I think that is going to likely, you know, considering most of the concerns are about hitting breaking balls and stuff like that. I think he's going to be a guy that when he comes into the professional ranks, he's going to kill it. Against low A, high A pitching, he's probably not going to have much of a trouble problem. And then we're going to start to see, we're going to have to start to see really what he is once he gets to double A. Now, the Braves have, the Braves have had on and off success with hit tool, guys that are, have hit tool questions. You look at guys like, uh, you know, Michael Harris had issue, some issues. Austin Riley, they've done well with guys like that. They've been able to succeed with. And then there's some other guys that they had issues and they've just never been able to figure it out. And so I don't, obviously, you know, obviously he's patient at the plate. That's one of those big skills. And that kind of allows the pit tool to play up, but you're looking at a guy that, you know, is not going to be, an instant he's not going to get to the major leagues quick you know he might have issues like cj alexander does where he hits a wall at double a and it takes him a while to figure it out and he may never do that um i like the pick i think it's you know in the sixth round if you're looking at a guy like that and you say okay this is a guy that has legitimate potential to start at the major league level and play a good defense play good good defense at their base hit for power you love that pick right i mean that's a really good pick in the sixth round it's just you don't want to get too excited when he comes up and starts hitting a ball because, yeah, he's kind of supposed to hit a ball. And you kind of expect that he's going to do that. And so we kind of have to watch once he gets to double A and really then we'll start to get to a feel of what the Braves are doing with him and what he's doing to adjust to the professional pitching. Yeah, and again, with Henry Malloy, it's a guy that we like. We think that there's real potential there, but again, not a guy that's going to costing a whole bunch of money. He's most not a particularly highly regarded prospect. You know, we're not talking about crazy upside necessarily. We just think that there's value there. So again, we're thinking we, we like the pick, but you know, what is kind of the brave strategy to kind of get the most out of this draft? And that comes with round seven and eight. Uh, round seven. Is the pick was AJ Smith Shalver, Shalver, which is a he's a right-handed pitcher out of a Texas high school, and this guy 
that again, very effusive in their praise coming from the Braves scouting department. Fastball is already touching mid mid nineties, touching even a little bit more than that. The breaking ball is really good. They really like guys who are like multi sport athletes, and he's you know a, a significant football player as well. And they really love the athleticism on the mound. They think there's a ton of upside with this kid. You know, again, just some a player that like one of those guys, one of the area scouts down in Texas, just seemingly fell in love with the Braves. You know, started doing more and digging in more on him, and they realized that as a guy that once they kind of really started digging on him, realized that you know. Depending on how the draft fell, that maybe they could do something and make it and target him later in the sec, on the second day to maybe spend a little bit of this bonus pool money that they had saved up to try to bring him back from a college commitment, try to get him away from any other sports, and kind of bring that athleticism and upside into the organization. Uh, there, I will, and I will, I'm sure Matt will be want me to say this. He is one of the two players from day two that there is going to be a full write-up that goes up on the website. I don't know exactly when that's going to happen because we have a really busy day three coming up too. We're going to have 10 picks that we're going to be writing. Uh, we're going to be kind of going go over, but I know Matt wants to write about him as well as the next pick, but where are you at with Smith Schauver? Yeah. I mean, he is a guy that we've seen the Braves take that mold multiple times throughout the years. You know, recently we've seen guys like Freddie Tarnock, Anthony Guardado, guys that they, Love the athleticism. You know, Kyle Muller as well. Love the athleticism. Love the potential. And they're taking a chance on that, on a guy that hasn't committed fully to baseball and to seeing what he can do. He's, you know, again, you see, you know, the fastball curveball, you always see that. It's going to be, again, can he develop change-ups? Can he utilize that athleticism into command? Um, You know, one of these guys, one of the things that, Organizations always have when they pick up pitchers that were quarterbacks in high school, which happens pretty frequently is, is you kind of have to typically get some of that quarterbackishness out of their mechanics. I don't know exactly how to describe it, but there's usually, you can kind of see it where guys who have played quarterback have certain flaws in their mechanics from playing quarterback and kind of transition to those two things. They had to do it. Muller was a huge example where they had to do a ton to rebuild his thing, to rebuild his mechanics. I don't necessarily see, like, I don't see as much of it with him as you did with Muller, right? But there are definitely aspects of they're going to have to fix pieces of his mechanics, kind of give him, get him working a little bit quicker and unlocking more of the natural strength that his body has because he is, he has a ton of arm strength. He has a good athletic body. And so you have to, there are things that they can do to increase that potential by tweaking things mechanically. Again, we've seen that with Muller. We've seen it with Tarnock guys, which Tarnock was Tarnock a two sport. I think Tarnock was just a two way player, but again, guys that can come in and you tweak their mechanics and unlock things that simply were limited. Um, and so I love the pick. I mean, a talent pick, again, in the seventh round, getting a talent like that, it's a good pick. I, I can't, it's not anything that's like, he's gonna take a, he's gonna take a minute to get to the major leagues, right? Like, this is gonna be a project player, just like a lot of players that they've taken this year, but, you know, you take chances on those guys, you trash your area scouts, and he definitely has the talent to do it. Yeah, absolutely. And again, like, it's another one of those situations where, the Braves seem to be valuing val- valuing athleticism in a pitcher 
that allows them to, if they need to make changes to their mechanics, if to, they need to kind of just be in fully control of their bodies to kind of make make moves that will allow them to command their pitches a little better, to kind of repeat their delivery, that which will allow things like learning a changeup and things like that be more successful. Like even if he never earn, learns a plus changeup, you know, just being able to locate a decent changeup will go a long way for him as a starting pitcher. And you do one of the ways you can do that is just by being athletic enough on the mound to just be in control of your body in every way to where you can repeat your mechanics over and over again. You can hit that same tunnel. And then after that, you know, it comes down to, you know, executing the pitches and spotting them in the right places and things like that. But it goes a long way. That's the problem with the really big body pitchers. And, you know, Mueller was an example of this too, is just that, you know, it's so hard to kind of control all those big levers and repeat your mechanics in the same way over and over again. Some guys manage to figure it out because they're just so athletically gifted. But a lot of times if they don't have that pure athleticism, it's just hard to do. It just is. Uh, we're, we're dealing with like pretty high levels of, you know, force in play in terms of what they're trying to do and how, what, what kind of spin they're trying to put on the ball. But in Smith Schauber's case, I kind of really like that athleticism as kind of a way to allow him to kind of unlock his ability to kind of be a consistent pitcher, uh, particularly as a starter. Uh, so the next pick is probably going to, is probably the most expensive pick other than Schwellenbach in this round. On day two, and that was Tyler Collins, again, uh, out of a Texas high school, who's an outfielder. It was very clear that a few things, listening to Dana Brown. One is that he was, he had a high price. So if they wanted to, if they wanted to pull him away from a college commitment, they were going to have to pay a real amount of money. And they felt like that the money that they had saved from the other previous college picks, that that savings was worth spending on this kid. Now, one name that he put out as a, Again, I hate to call it a comp, but more of like, uh, you know, this is the type of player he is. He mentioned Kenny Lofton, which again, Kenny Lofton was a really, really good player. This is a guy who can absolutely fly, gets on base a ton. This is like a, a prototypical leadoff hitter. He gets on base incredibly fast. Uh, Matt calls it an above average hit tool. I'll buy that too. And is a really good defender and center fielder. So you have an up the middle guy who can really defend. Again, power. He's a, as a smaller guy and as a high school prep bat, it's kind of hard to say he's, whether he's going to have no power at all, but I don't think he's going to be a big time power guy, but the guy can absolutely fly. He can hit and he can defend at center field. And when you get that kind of kid in round eight and you really believe in the talent and it sounds like the Braves really do, they've had a lot of decision makers kind of go to watch this kid to see if this is really kind of the, the type of prep player they wanted to possibly pull the trigger on, on an overslot pick. And they decided in round eight to make that decision with him again. Another guy that we're going to have a full report on as well, because this was probably Matt's favorite peck in the hole on, in the whole of day two. But talk to me a little bit about your thoughts on Collins. And do you think that if going over slot, the spending a, the biggest chunk of this kind of slot savings that they've gotten on him was a good one? Yeah, I mean, I like Collins. I do think that the the power is a concern, right? Like, eventually, what is he going to grow into? Because that's ultimately going to limit his... I think he can hit... He can definitely run and play defense. Like, there's no question about that. He hits from the left side, which is a benefit here. I just think that... Personally, I look at a guy that you can... With his athleticism, with his strength, you can tweak his swing a bit to unlock more power. The question is whether they will do that, whether they want to do that, or whether they are just going to say, hey, go out there and hit. 
we don't really know what they're going to do. We don't know their plan there. I do think that he has enough strength to unlock a little bit more power. How much, you know, ultimately depends. I mean, you can look at, it's very hard for a guy with that profile to succeed. And it's not impossible. Guys do it. It's just, you really have to have a plus hit tool to succeed without a ton of power, you know, as an outfielder. It's not an easy, it's not an easy profile to fit into. I mean, we've seen guys come up in recent years like Malik Smith, which I think he's stronger than Malik Smith. I think he's got a better arm than Malik Smith, but that's a guy that kind of had to rely entirely on defense because once he got to the upper levels, his lack of strength became an issue. I don't know, you know, and I think with Collins, it's just going to be something to watch out for. I think he'll hit just fine. He'll defend just fine. He's going to be got, he's got a guy, he's a guy that you kind of feel confident that eventually he's going to make it to the major leagues in some capacity, whether that's as a fourth or fifth outfielder or whether that is as a starter that hits well enough to start and hit, you know, in a lineup depends on a lot of factors, but you feel fairly confident that, hey, this guy is probably this guy has a fairly good chance of getting to the major leagues because he has enough skills that teams covet at the major league level. Um, he's a younger guy for this class, I believe. Um, fair, not crazy young, but not crazy, uh, March. So fairly young for the class. Um, and ultimately, yeah, like I said, I love the athleticism. I question the swing somewhat. I question the ultimate power grade, um, and whether they are going to try to tweak that swing but I do think that they obviously it's a good value pick I don't think that I like it more than Shaver Smith Shaver or Malloy but I do like the pick yeah it was definitely an interesting one because the way they were talking is like that he was kind of the the big spend that makes me think that maybe the Braves still have more money and I kind of get to the that's where I kind of get to the conclusion that I feel like that they could be really active in trying to get some really interesting players on day three is that if, even if he had a significant price I'm just not sure if he's the guy that is going to like you basically use up all your bonus pool and that you're just not doing much on day three and it kind of gets to the fact that the Braves just have a real need in the bottom levels of their organization you know, in the minor leagues, just get some more talent in there. And you, you know, you know, maybe it's not the best idea to bank on just one guy, but instead go after a Smith Shaw go after a Collins day three, go after some other guys that are still on the board, you know, make your calls and kind of see who's still available at certain numbers and kind of spread that wealth around to try to get as many signable, but talented guys in your organization, as opposed to kind of like really banking on just a few, because that, that depth is really what's like lacking right now. The Augusta green jackets are not fun to watch. Just full stop there or not. Uh, and in Collins' case, like, I still really like the kid. And I think that he can put on a little bit more strength without sacrificing his speed. You know, you can't, he can't go too much. He's 5'11 and 180 right now. Like, if he goes much, too much heavy, heavier than that, like, you start worrying that maybe the, the speed backs off. And when that's his, like, biggest carrying tool, again, a little bit of concern, but you know, I think he can put on some strength. I think he can get that swing where he's a little bit more uphill to where, and he's a strong kid. So I think that if he can just kind of get that swing a little bit more uphill and kind of just get, you know, be more consistent getting his hands in to get the bat on the ball, he can get that barrel and really kind of hit a lot of extra base hits. Even if he's not hitting a ton of home runs, I think he can hit the ball hard with it and, you know, and be a, a 
somewhat an impact bat, particularly at the top of the order. He doesn't really have to do a ton of power if he can really get on base at a high clip. And it seems like that approach is good enough where he's going to be a guy that is going to be eyeing and trying to get on base because once he's on the base paths, he I can already kind of tell he's going to be a nightmare. He's going to want to show off those wheels that he's got. Uh, so coming in at round nine, uh, just again, just two more picks. And then before we let everyone go, uh, was Liam McGill, a catcher out of Bryant. Uh, this was another senior sign, you know, and he put up some like video game type numbers for Bryant, but this is again, small school situation. It's kind of hard to draw too many conclusions from numbers that were going on, uh, when he, when he was there, probably not a catcher long-term. This seems more like just like a, the, the ninth round senior sign pick that you make, you just get a college performer from a small school. Maybe you end up with something. Maybe you don't. Uh, tell me your thoughts on McGill before we go on to the last pick. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's a guy that will take at-bats at the lower levels. I mean, there's not a whole lot to say, really. you just got to kind of watch him play. There's not a lot on him being from a smaller school. He hit really well, so, hey, it's cool. I'm cool with it. We'll just kind of see what happens with him. That's pretty much pretty much it with Miguel. It's like, he seems like he can hit. We'll see what happens beyond that, but an interesting kind of senior sign pick because at least he's been like somewhat productive as opposed to like, you know, taking a guy from a big school that probably didn't play particularly well and just hoping that maybe that that's good enough to turn into a useful minor leaguer for a couple of years. Uh, the final pick is your brethren from the University of Hawaii at Hilo, Dylan Spain, a right-handed pitcher. A uh, really interesting story on him is that the, it seems like the Braves were doing kind of an open, like a tryout camp on the West Coast and that this kid showed up. He hasn't actually played baseball in a while and he shows up and he's like throwing 97 with a really like hard slider that kind of really blew the Braves away. And, you know, as a guy, there's not like, there was not much information on this guy. He was even announced as no school. And when it would find out it was from the university of Hawaii at Hilo, uh, Wayne Cavati, uh, who obviously you guys know from his appearances here and from his writing on the minor league side with us, he was livid as a, like a D2 guy that he had literally never heard of. And it turns out like there's like no information on him since like 2019. It, it, it was, it's a wild story that this guy like just in a tryout impressed the Braves enough to end up being a round 10 signing. And again, this was a cost saving play too. Again, a guy who, and this is probably a, this is a relief arm, but he throws 97, least he can top out there and he has, and he throws a really hard slider and he didn't cost much at all. And when you get a guy who's that and who's also 6'6 and 205 pounds, those are the kind of bets that you make. But uh, talk to me about your cousin Dylan. This is my favorite pick purely from the complete confusion of everybody trying to figure out who the guy is. Like, it's hilarious. It's hilarious when there's a guy and you just absolutely have no idea what the deal is with him. And I... I mean, it, you're getting a guy in the 10th round that can throw 97 with a good slider and looks to have a projectable frame. I'm not going to complain about that. I mean, that's fine with me. I don't think, I don't think that they could have gotten necessarily better, right? Like, that's good. It's a good bet to take. I'm very, very interested to see what he does and to see how he develops. It's going to be fun. Absolutely. Again, this is very much like a lottery ticket type senior sign. And I am all in favor of like, if you're not spending money on a guy, if you're not spending money on a guy and you're just trying to save money, that if you can still kind of get a lottery ticket type that could turn into anything at all, really interesting pick. And a fun fact, Matt Powers, again, I love Matt. Just he's an encyclopedia of information on amateurs, loves the draft, really immerses himself in all in kind of 
what's going on on the amateur level. The draft is his baby. And he said point blank, he's like, they took a guy that I literally have no information on whatsoever. And in a lot of ways, that's fun. In a lot of ways, it kind of tells us that the, um, you know, the Braves are really kind of combing all corners of the earth to, you know, kind of find, find talent and be really creative in what they're trying to do with the draft. And I will say this, this draft class so far, I will definitely call it creative. I will definitely call it interesting. Not 100% certain how good it is, but there's some bets being made here. There, I, the, the, I don't, I wouldn't call much, the, this is a way is a safe draft at all. Because when your top two picks are guys that have real reliever risk, and then you kind of, the rest of your picks are, I would call very sort of atypical for what we're used to seeing in terms of going over slot and the guys that you try to pick and how you manage your bonus pool. Really interesting class and makes me really excited for day three. And speaking of which, before we let our listeners go, Garrett, tell our listeners what you think in like in terms of how active and the Braves are going to be in terms of like doing overslot signings. Is it going to be kind of business as usual or do you think that we might see some really interesting players coming off the board for the Braves tomorrow? So based on the first 10 rounds, I have no idea. Um, I mean, looking at the guys that they drafted, I don't see a team that filled up their bonus pool. I see a team that has some money to spend. How much money? Who knows? I think that they can get at least a couple of guys over slot, and they typically do every year. They typically get two or three guys that are over slots in the late rounds, and then they kind of fill out the rest of the way through. They're really, really good at getting day three guys. And so I have a feeling that we're going to have a few in there that we are extremely excited about. Maybe not now, but talk to me a year from now, and I'm sure that there are going to be two or three guys from that 11th to 20th round that we're all extremely happy that we got. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I think that they have certainly used some of their bonus pool, but they used two picks early on senior signs in round three and five. Not exactly sure what Conley is going to cost. And then they have, you know, McGill and Spain at the end, which are kind of the normal rounds where teams go, go senior signs. I still maintain that it seems possible, if not likely, that Kusick was, was under slot, albeit I don't think it was a crazy amount but they, I think they saved some money there. The question is how much it costs to sign Schwellenbach. I'm interested to see as to kind of where Schwellenbach thought his market was and what he thought he was going to end up at, what he was going to end up, where he was going to get it picked and kind of where that he kind of created his expectations for how much money he was going to make. That's where the, that's where the day three, I guess, projection comes down to is like, if the Braves had to go over slot at all for Schwellenbach, how much did they have to? It seems like though to me, just based, just just looking at these picks, they spent, certainly spent. They had a couple in in seven and eight. We know for sure that they were over slot signings, but how much? We're not sure. Collins Collins deal was described as had a, with a as a pretty high price. I'm not sure if that necessarily means they blow their bonus pool though. And I think that what we could see is instead of kind of the big splashy moves that, you know, I'm sure Matt was really, and we were wanting them too, to be fair. You know, we wanted Lonnie White picked. We wanted, you know, them to go really big early on day two to get some of these guys who were like round one, round two talents and kind of pry them away from, you know, college commitments. But the teams with the big bonus pools were the problem. It's the Pirates were a problem in this draft is that they had so much money to throw around that they were able to kind of snatch up a lot of those types of guys. Other, and other teams were too. They were able to really leverage those big bonus pulls. And instead what the Braves seem to be doing, and I think to pretty good effect so far, is that they're kind of 
spreading that wealth around when there's when they're, and saving money where they can. And I think that's going to continue on day three where they're going to kind of have some overslot signings. And I would not be shocked at all if the Braves signed their entire draft class in order to kind of fill up those minor league those those minor league rosters with some actual talent, even if it's not like the crazy high level talent that maybe we were kind of hoping for once we kind of started kind of entertaining this idea that underslot things were going to be in play. So anyways, guys, really appreciate you guys taking the time to listen to us. Uh, we're It's getting pretty late in the day here, and frankly, all of us are pretty tired, and we still have one more day of draft coverage. We are going to be doing a show. Uh, Matt's going to be back on the show as well. We're going to be doing a, f- a full day three recap as well as kind of recapping our general thoughts on the draft. Uh, again, right now, we don't know what this draft, draft class looks like in terms of how we feel about it, but I will say it's really interesting. Make sure if you want to make sure you get that podcast as well as getting caught up on all the other draft content that we had done previously, make sure you subscribe to the Talking Shop podcast per pod, podcast feed on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, all those podcast purveyors. The feed is on. You get this podcast with, as well as the Talking Shop flagship program hosted by the great Brad Roland. You can get your major league fix there as well. We're really excited to be able to cover this draft. And again, this has been like kind of the weirdest draft to cover for us, but it's been a lot of fun and we're really excited to be able to bring that content for you. Uh, if you're looking to the site for kind of reference material, we have a, a full day two recap that you should definitely look at, um, on the site. And then when day three goes up, we're not writing up any individual picks unless something crazy happens where they go really over slot early on the, on day three or something. Uh, but there is going to be an 11 through 20 recap post that Matt's going to be putting together to, you know, talk everyone through all the picks that are made. And then we're going to actually have the recap show uh, later that evening. So make sure you keep your eyes and ears out for that. We really appreciate all the support the podcast and the site has been getting the last few days. It's been fairly pretty remarkable. And as always, around the drafters, there's so many of you that are really interested in the draft and what's going on. And we really appreciate all that support. It means a lot to us as folks who put in a lot of work to try to make this event something that's really fun as well as educational for Braves fans. And you guys, that that has been very rewarding for us. So, so I just want to say thank you to all of you. And with that, we'll see you on the road. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts.